podcast uses profanity and topics may be disturbing for some listeners. Listen at your own risk. Welcome back to Hell on Heels podcast. I'm Bryce. I'm Brianna. I'm Amanda. And hello, everyone. Welcome to episode 19. What can we do at 19 years old? Is there anything new? Bank account. Sign legal documents. We could do that at 18. 18. Oh, my. I just connected dots. My story today is going to be perfect for this. And you totally did it on purpose. I to- I intentionally did that, obviously. Like, why wouldn't I? Duh. 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 Um, I'm very excited now. Well, how are you guys? I'm good. I went to the doctor today, and he is talking about putting me on biologics, which I'm freaking ecstatic for, so. What's that? It is... It's basically a medicine that is made from living organisms, and it specifically targets proteins that cause inflammation and uh, white blood cells that are just kind of hanging out, wreaking havoc in my bowels. Interesting. Yeah. The only thing that sucks is I'm either going to have to go get a transfusion or I'll be giving myself a big fat shot, a big fat shot in the leg every two weeks at home. Um, That's not bad. Yeah, no. The infusion might be just because, I mean, I'm still nursing and all that, but the mm-hmm. shots at home, like, stab and go, from my understanding, is kind of like an EpiPen. Mm-hmm. I might be wrong. That's how it was described to me. So, yeah, I can do that. Let's go. Stab myself and move on with my life. Listen, giving shots to yourself is not fucking easy. I yeah, had to I do that for <laughs> um, failed IUIs, but... And I had to do it in the stomach. And it wasn't like an EpiPen. It was like I, I had to poke it in. No. And then it took me probably five minutes every time to actually poke myself. I, it got to a point I made Cody do it. James would have to put his foot on my face to hold me down. And then I would cry because I have a... What's the opposite of fetish? A foot... Fear? Phobia, yes. Thank you. Phobia? Yeah. I almost said anti-fetish. And I'm like, that's not right. I might like anti-fetish more. (laughs) I'm just saying it sounds more fun. Plus, it's more fun to make up your own words, you know? True. First, what do with you? Oh, nothing. Oh. Well, I already showed you guys my shoes. Yes. I'm not that bendable. I don't bend like that. Well, I'm good. And Brie, I got to give you a hard time because I'm just saying I Googled today. How the local news stations say Colorado, and they say it how I say it, woman. So. It's Colorado, man. My mom literally lived in Colorado for 20 plus years. All right. Excuse me. Shout out to my mom. And she pronounces it Colorado. Ra. R-A-H. Ra. Do. I'm telling you that the um the news stations, two out of the three that I watched said Arado. The other one I couldn't quite make out what he said, and I don't know if that's because my phone cut out, but it sounded like the raw dough. So I'm just saying two out of three. I'm just gonna say it's like tomato tomato. I'm still saying it correct. You're saying so it correct. It's it's like Texas and Tejas. Okay, no, it's, that's it's not, not even close. It's not, it's not tomato tomato. 
It's not tomato, tomato. It's like but Texas. Okay, people in Texas comparison. pronounce it. And in Mexico, people pronounce Texas Tejas. Okay, well, if we, we want to be completely transparent, Colorado is a Spanish word. So everyone is saying it wrong because it'd be Colorado. All right, let's just, I, I agree with you. It's tomato, tomato. That's all I'm trying to say is for those of you who say it like me, we're correct too. There's nothing wrong with how we say Colorado. I'm just here. There's also nothing wrong with Colorado. Amanda, how do you pronounce it? Colorado. Colorado. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> There's also nothing wrong with that. <laughs> Listen. Listen, I was l- editing that episode because I was apparently editing out of order. And that's what brought it up the other day because I was listening to that. And I was like, I'm going to Google this. And then I sent Brie that a video and she responded today, like a week late. And I had forgotten <laughs> I sent it to you. <laughs> I was like, you literally. That? OK, hold up, y'all. Let's actually get this situated. I've got the messages right I here, Bryce. Y'all, she sent it to me on Sunday, and I responded today, which is Wednesday. That was not a week. Feels like a week. Give me a break. It feels like a week, but also I feel like I've already gone through two weeks since Sunday. Like, work's been crazy this week already. Anyways, I just wanted to give you a hard time about that, because we're both right. Uh, Amanda's somewhat right. I don't know about the uh, part (laughs) at the end, but... We'll give it to you. Okay, any other updates? Any other news? Jack will be bringing me sweet potato soon. That's all he said. So. Um, I'll I be love sweet potatoes. So that's, 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 horrible. that's my update. He's such a sweet potato, isn't he? I know, isn't he? He's my babe. Clever. Very clever. <laughs> I'm, glad you, I'm glad you appreciated that more than anyone else should. Okay. All right. Um, are you guys ready to get started? I'm actually really excited for my story today. Ditto. So let's go. Okay. So I'm excited for everyone that thinks I'm doing Jack the Ripper because I said I would. I'm sorry. I'm a liar. Jack the Ripper just turned into kind of a crazy story, and I have gone down several hundred rabbit holes. Is what it feels like with that. And so I'm figuring that one out. It'll come eventually. Um, we don't know if we're going to do that as a Patreon special or as a normal episode. But point is, is I'm not doing Jack the Ripper. Don't expect it anytime soon because I haven't figured out how to do that one yet. How to do it and get you all the information. So instead, today we are going to be going over the case of Leopold and Loeb. Have you guys ever heard of it? No. Never. Okay. I'm excited. Okay, so I'm going to have you guys start by going into the first picture on the drive. I was so responsible this week. I labeled, like, the places where my pictures need to be looked at. So. Bitch, I do that every single week. What the fuck? I don't do. And even if I do, most of the time, I skip over it for some reason. So. Sorry. Okay, so the first picture is a picture of Bobby Franks. On the afternoon of May 21st, 1924, 14-year-old Bobby Franks goes missing on his walk home from school. Later that evening, after word had spread of Bobby's disappearance, his mother received a call from a man identifying himself as George Johnson. 
George Johnson had told her that Bobby had been kidnapped and that a ransom note would be delivered the following morning. After receiving the ransom letter, the George Johnson character called a second time and dictated a first set of instructions for the ransom payment. How I understood this is the ransom note didn't have all of the instructions. So he called and said, before you do the instructions on the ransom note, you need to do XYZ first. Um, and you guys can actually go into picture two, which is the actual ransom letter. And that can you please read that. It's I am. Oh, I have it typed up to read it. <clears throat> and it says, dear sir, proceed immediately to the back platform of the train. Watch the east side of the track. Have your package ready. Look for the first large red brick. And that's all in caps right there. Factory situated immediately adjoining the tracks on the east. On top of this factory is a large black water tower with the word champion written on it. Wait until you have completely, again in all caps, past the south end of the factory. Count five very rapidly and then immediately throw the package as far east as you can. Remember, this is your only chance to recover your son. Yours truly, George Johnson. Okay, obviously that last part isn't funny, but the actual just... It's the description of of everything. No, a woman 100% wrote this note. (laughs) George Johnson did not write this note because I have left, like, my husband specific instructions before. There's no fucking way a man wrote this note. Hmm. Hey, we don't know that. We'll we'll talk about it. The Franks family, they did attempt to follow the ransom instructions, but a family member forgot the address of the store that he was supposed to go to to receive the next set of directions. And kind of mess that up a little bit. But either way, the effort to follow the ransom demands was abandoned entirely when news broke that Bobby's body had been found on May 22nd, 1924. So just the very next morning. Bobby had been bludgeoned to death and found naked in a culvert near the Pennsylvania Railroad tracks. What the fuck? Sorry. Your face. Fucking rip my heart out two minutes into this podcast. It's adorable. He Why really he is. I mean, he just, I don't know, he looks like he's wearing like his school uniform, you know, and he's got his shorts on and he's got his like long sleeve jacket and he looks all prim and proper. And then, you know, his hair is like all like pushed back, you know, to like one side. He's got he definitely of- looks like he's very clean cut <laughs> and just like. He looks like he's a very good kid in that picture. I obviously didn't uh, know him. and That poor baby. Okay, well, we're just gonna, we're gonna continue ripping that band-aid off. I'm sorry. And for those of you that don't know what a culvert is, it is a tunnel that carries, a tunnel carrying a stream or open drain that goes under a road or under a railroad track. So it's just that tunnel that connects them. Thank you for explaining that. I was one of those people who had no idea what it was. If it makes you feel better, I had to Google it. Because I was like, I feel like I know what this is, but I'm thinking cul-de-sac and that's not right. So I knew what it was because my older brother almost drowned in one when we were like eight and ten or something like that. I would yeah, prob- probably like, not good look cul- at you, Miss Know-It-All, but shit, that's a... Uh, I'm sorry to hear yep. that. Cool. I was fine. He lived. <laughs> he lived. Good. I'm glad. All right. I got to finish ripping this bandaid off. His face and genitals had been doused in hydrochloric acid to obscure his identity and the fact that he was circumcised. 
What in the actual fuck does that matter? You sadistic? No, no. There was no. There was no need for that. Sorry. Um, God love them. So at this point, Chicago police launch an intensive or an intense, yeah, intensive investigation. I don't know why I can't read my own typing here. And at this point, it was still a little hard because they didn't have much to go off of. They had the ransom note, which was typed. They had a tip about a gray sedan idling where Bobby had last been seen. And they had a pair of glasses found near the body. Now, the glasses that were found at the scene were a very common prescription. They were a common frame. But they did find that the glasses themselves had a unique hinge that only had been purchased by three customers in the Chicago area. Shit. Down. I'm sorry. You you can you can cut me out. <laughs> I didn't hear what you said. I just said, well, shit, that narrows it down. I, I know it does narrow it down a lot. Of the three sets of glasses, one pair belonged to a man who had been abroad for weeks. So done. He's out. We're down to two. Another to a woman who was ruled out. It didn't tell me why she was ruled out, but I'm assuming she probably still had her glasses and a solid alibi. And the last belonged to Nathan Leopold. And you guys can go into picture number three. And All the fucking unibrow gets me every time. Holy unibrow. It's not like straight across. It goes, it like comes down to a point. <laughs> you know when you're a kid and you can't really draw well and you do the uh, almost like an elongated M seagulls on your beach pictures? That's what oh, it yeah. looks like. It looks like it. a distant seagull. <laughs> I would feel bad about teasing him, but I, I still don't. draw my seagulls that way. <laughs> I do too when I'm stuck drawing <laughs> for some reason. Can't do it. Yeah, 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 I see it. Okay, so I'm going to give you guys some background about Nathan Leopold. And from here on out, he will only be known as Leopold. He doesn't deserve a first name. Leopold was born on November 19th, 1904 in Chicago. He was the son of a very wealthy German-Jewish immigrant family. His family actually had an estimated net worth of $4 million in 1924. And today... Casual. Yeah, today that would be uh, almost $66 million. I didn't think it was possible for that to get more casual. Yeah. And here we are. So, anyways. Um, Leopold was actually considered to be a child prodigy. He claimed to have spoken his first words at the age of four months old. He claims that he studied 15 different languages and spoke five of them fluently. He had also had achieved achieved national recognition as an ornithologist. And for those of you that don't know what an ornithologist is, I have my personal opinions on this. An ornithologist is the study of the devil's winged creatures or birds. hate birds. Oh, it took me a second. You don't like birds, so I, I don't like, like birds. I was like, he studies winged demons? What? No, 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 no. That's a personal opinion. I am, like, deathly terrified of birds. Like, a bird has gotten in our house before, and I made Cody come home from work and rescue me. You would not what? like the mall, like, near my parents' house. Literally, I swear, every time I go in there, I see at least five birds trapped in there. I mean, it's a big mall given. If I but can like, get away from the bird, I'm okay. But I couldn't get away from the bird. It was in my tiny ass house. I couldn't do it. 
So Dang. point is, me and birds don't get along. So he he does have national recognition as a winged devil watcher. <laughs> I don't know. Um, he actually so wait, the, I'm sorry. He watches them. They study them. What so are his, the like? Can you give me some examples of what a devil bird would be? As in, I'm what a, are the I'm names of these I'm about to tell you right okay. now. Okay. So Leopold and other ornithologists had identified the Kirkland's war- warbler and made observations about the parasitic nesting behavior of the brown-headed cowbirds, which threatened the war- warblers. Warblers? Warblers? Warblers. I don't know. Mine's going to be contrary, so it doesn't matter. Yeah. So basically, these uh, brown-headed cowbirds were being parasitic and putting their eggs in the nest of the warblers. And that was killing the warblers. Because they were then getting rid of the eggs so that... I just shared my screen because I looked up the brown-headed cowbird. God, that thing's terrifying. (laughs) No, thank you. He's not that terrifying. He's just tiny. Oh, looks he awful. looks like a miniature version of a... Actually, no. He kind of does look like a crow. And he's just got a brown head. So imagine a crow with a brown head. And that's it. No, that's what Google they look it. like. They're, they're terrifying. All no, birds are do you terrifying. know what it looks like? It looks like someone took a brown bird head and stuck it on a black bird body. That's what it, it looks like. It does look <laughs> like that. <laughs> okay, so that's what he was nationally recognition recognition recognized for as an ornithologist. Um, where was I? So by 1924, at the age of 19, Leopold had actually completed an under undergraduate degree at the University of Chicago, and he was said to have an IQ of over 200. So he's he's very smart. He graduated okay. high school at I believe the age of 14. I apparently forgot to put that in my notes when I was organizing them, but he did graduate and then went on to again have his undergraduate from Chicago. And wait, so it took him five years to and to get his undergraduate degree, his bachelor's. He was either fourteen or fifteen when he graduated. Okay. So college, college, yes. No, no, no. When he graduated, no high, high school. school. So he oh, okay. had graduated, he graduated college, college at 19. At 19? Yeah. Okay, so he's ridiculously rich and ridiculously smart. Sure. What the fuck else don't you have going for you, huh? That's why. That's where that unibrow comes in. Yeah. <laughs> he he had graduated. Have it all. Why don't you change it? <laughs> that wasn't a thing in the 1920s, okay? Okay, but I can guarantee you Nobody has been a fan of unibrows. I know. I wouldn't somewhat- make that guarantee because I think there are people that like them out there. You like unicorns, maybe you like a unibrow. Now Start that's the- a fetish. <laughs> I'm just saying, you can't guarantee that no one likes it because there's got to be someone out there that likes it, even if it's just one person. I'm sure, there's someone. I'm sure there is. We we love you all, but yes, I personally don't like them. That's, That's just my opinion. But so, we love you all. So all he graduated. <laughs> I'm sorry. I love oh, you. Goodbye. He, gra- he graduated with Phi Beta Kappa honors. And Phi Beta Kappa is 
the oldest academic honor society in the U.S., and it's also the most prestigious. It's a fraternity. So he graduated with those honors, and he had plans to begin studying at Harvard Law School after a trip to Europe. And Leopold was seen as an intense and dark person. He was described as the kind of guy that you would instantly dislike at a party. He was a know-it-all and had an opinion on literally everything. And you can see it, right? Please tell me you guys can see that. It's hard okay. to see anything past that unibrow. Literally, okay, I no. Need to drop All the right. unibrow. <laughs> I went to a and I don't know if this is for everybody, but I went to a public school and I literally like I don't know, I feel like I can spot the preps. I tell myself that, but like half of the time I can't. And literally this guy, yes. 100%. He's got like those like big lips, you know, that like every girl falls over. And then he's, I mean, he's the just, stereotypical just, preppy boy. Exactly. It's just the unibrow that he has going against him. That's it. Yeah. Anyway, so that's, that's him. Police initially had reservations about Leopold's involvement in the crime just due to his very prominent family. But they did continue the investigation going forward. They brought him in for questioning, and when Leopold was questioned about the glasses, he told police that his glasses may have fallen out of his pocket during a birdwatching trip the previous weekend. And it was just coincidental that they were found by Bobby Frank's body. Oh, it was coincidental. Yeah. <clears throat> so... Leopold stated that the night of the murder, he and his friend, Richard Loeb, had picked up two women in Chicago in Leopold's car. They had dropped the women off later near a golf course when the women had refused to have sex with them. And when police asked for the women's names, Leopold was unable to produce the women's last names. Now, before we go on, we're going to talk about Richard Loeb. So go on to picture four. And I'm going to say it, Richard Loeb is kind of a cutie. Yeah. Same I can't too. Know. But can I say one thing really fast? Yes. Being the prick and prep and pip in the step that Leopold is, I think he wrote that letter. We can get onto that in a little bit. Can you not ruin my shit? <laughs> Jesus Christ. Yeah. You know that I'm right, and you know it. (laughs) Actually, I'll tell you, you are partially right. So the other part was okay. Okay, let me let me talk. (laughs) We'll get to it. Let's chill. Okay, but yes, speaking of Lua, yes, he actually was attractive. I would. Yes, Bryce, tell us about GQ here. So GQ Loeb was born on June 11th, 1905, in Chicago. He was also the son of a wealthy family. His father was a lawyer and the retired VP of Sears Roebuck and Company, which nowadays is known as Sears. I think they're out of business now. Again, casual. Casual. Um, In 1924, his family had an approximate net worth of $10 million. And today that would be $164 million. Um, His father was Jewish. His mother was Catholic. Uh, Much like Leopold, Loeb was very intelligent. He actually became the youngest graduate at the University of Michigan, graduating at the age of 17. Oh, 
Well, he was way before Leopold. Well, Loeb was doing graduate work in history at the University of Chicago in 1924 at the age of 18. While Loeb was very intelligent, he did prefer socializing, playing tennis, reading detective novels. He's a crime junkie, guys. Um, And he preferred doing those things rather than pursuing intellectual activities. He was described as a dazzling human. And when he walked into the room, the energy would change and you couldn't help but looking at him. He wore clothes really well. He had a nice smile and he was very handsome. Loeb was also the second cousin of Bobby Franks. And he lived across the street from the Franks family. Bobby would often go to Loeb's house to play tennis at their home. And you guys can go ahead and picture five, which is just a picture of Leopold and Loeb and his grody unibrow. Leopold's uh, grody (laughs) unibrow. So, Leopold and Loeb, they had grown up about two blocks from one another, and they knew each other casually growing up. But they didn't become better friends until the 1920s. Their relationship grew at, the t- at their time at the University of Chicago. And many people were actually just really shocked at this friendship because of how different they were. Leopold actually idolized Loeb. He just loved Loeb. And Loeb felt that it was nice to have an accolade. And I kept that word in there because I really just enjoy that word. And an accolade is a follower. He enjoyed having someone around him that would make him feel special and intelligent and whatever else. So that's how they met. Now on May 29th, 1924, both men were brought in for formal questioning. Both Leopold and Loeb gave the same alibi of them picking up the women and dropping them off much later. Cause they wouldn't do the dirty with them. <clears throat> so unfortunately their alibi unravels very quickly when Leopold's chauffeur is sent to the police station with some information. So remember, their alibi is that they drove around in Leopold's car picking up chicks. The chauffeur chauffeur told police that Leopold and Loeb could not have been involved as Leopold's car had been in the garage being repaired the night of the murder. The chauffeur's wife... you put the chauffeur in on it as well. You gotta pay them a million bucks. Come on. The chauffeur's wife confirmed that the car was, in fact, parked in the Leopold garage that night. Now, during this time, the police are getting all this information. And so they do search Leopold's room and his study and found a letter written to Loeb that suggested that Leopold and Loeb were lovers. Further unraveling their alibi, why would they be picking up chicks if they're lovers? Police were able to match Leopold's handwriting to the writing on the ransom note envelope not on the ransom note itself but on the envelope it was mailed in the letter had also been matched to a typewriter that belonged to leopold and reportedly there was an attempt to destroy this typewriter which was later found on june 7th at the jackson park lagoon wait ip address on typewriters as well and not on no typewriters have a unique um all typewriters have like a unique I want to call it a cadence, but they have a unique fonts or um, different things like spacing where they can identify which one it came from. I think Wouldn't you're right. I think it like is a cadence. A thousand hours, though. What? Wouldn't that take 
a lot of hours to find i mean they'd have to test every single typewriter am i right no because they they, had like a they have leopold's typewriter and they were able to match that to the ransom letter oh because yeah okay because they entered Mm -hmm. okay now the police know that the boys are somehow connected and they're lying about their alibis. And with Leopold and Loeb separated, police begin questioning, questioning them. It didn't take long for Loeb to confess to the murder of Bobby Franks. Loeb claimed that Leopold had planned and killed Bobby Franks from the backseat of a rented car while Loeb drived. Drived. Drove. Not long after Loeb's confession, Leopold also confessed but cl- claimed that he was the one driving and Loeb actually was in the back seat. Before I get into the, conf- the confession details, I'm going to talk to you guys about their friendship a little bit more. As I stated earlier, people were actually really shocked by this pairing of their friendship. Uh, Leopold really idolized Loeb and Loeb really just loved, loved the attention. The crime that actually got them started was a scheme to cheat at cards and as time went on it was reported that Loeb wanted to play more dangerous games i mean i did say he was a crime junkie he really enjoyed mystery novels and such detective novels yeah but i wonder if he knew how different that was than russian roulette Loeb wanted to play these more dangerous games and leopold was open to the idea but he wanted something in return so they made a secret pact that Loeb agreed to have sex with Leopold if Leopold accompanied Loeb on his crime sprees. On his what? Say that one more time. Say the whole thing one more time. Crime sprees. Yes. So they made a secret pact that Loeb agreed to have sex with Leopold if Leopold accompanied Loeb on his crime sprees. So Leopold, wait, Loeb had already committed crime sprees is what you're saying i don't know if they were committed then or if the escalated crime sprees are what he's agreeing to go along with i'm assuming it's the escalated crime sprees that he will soon commit so do we follow (laughs) what is happening with this secret pact? unfortunately yes it escalated with small acts of vandalism stealing cars and setting fire to buildings those are small? Comparatively, yes. Comparatively to what? Murder? Yes. I would say small acts of vandalism as like graffiti or kicking over a trash can, not setting a building on fire. I don't know, okay? Some reports state that the lack of media coverage on their crimes led them just to kind of continue escalating because they wanted that attention. And it got to a point that Loeb suggested they commit a murder. And Leopold reportedly urged him to do it using the concept from German philosopher Friedrich Nietzsche. I forgot how to Google how to say his name. I was going to. Nietzsche. Something like that. Friedrich. Nietzsche or something? I don't know. Nietzsche. That's it. Okay. I helped. I don't think that's right, actually. I don't know. Who fucking knows? I don't know. Nietzsche. It's Nietzsche. There's not an extra. Ask, how does one suggest murder? What does, because I. You want me to try that? Okay. Hey, Amanda, we're not popular enough. What do you think 
about us killing someone. What kind of someone? I don't know yet. No, 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 no. That's going to be, I need to know that first. You, you got to do this. So, Amanda, we're not popular enough. What do you think about killing Mark Zuckerberg so that we can claim Facebook as our own and so that we can popularize our social media platforms and podcasts the way that Mark Zuckerberg popularizes Facebook? Mark Zuckerberg, we are not coming for you. Please note no, that. No, no, no. De- definitely not. Definitely not. Please don't. <laughs> no. That was just an example. Why are all these people coming to ask Amanda about murder? Like, what does that say about me and the friends that I choose? Amanda, you asked. Please let us know which. (laughs) Hold on. Hold on. There's more to this. Um, So the philosopher Friedrich. How did I say it again? Nietzsche? Zuckerberg. Nietzsche? (laughs) Friedrich Zuckerberg. No. (laughs) So there is this Ubermenschen. Ubermenschisch. Or Superman theory that he had, which is basically a being that is so exceptional that they are not bound by law or morality. And Leopold and Loeb actually began to identify themselves as this Nietzschean Superman. So they did consider themselves to be not bound by law or morality. That's always healthy. Shitting me. Very healthy, yes. Good road to go down. Nobody is above the law. If you think that you are above the law, you are not above the law. Just chill the fuck out. I love you. 2022. Chill the fuck out. Okay. No, nobody is above the law. Nobody can escape the fucking law. What if they're killing a skinwalker? Okay, you know what? Skinwalkers are Excuse me. I'm sorry. Skinwalkers are no longer registered people. Therefore, they are allowed to kill skinwalkers. All right. So they basically wanted a unique act and thought committing the perfect murder would demonstrate their superiority over everyone else to prove that they were this Superman-like person. They never even considered the possibility that they would be caught. Imagine that. So here are the details of the confession. For the most part, all of these details matched up with what they said. The only thing that they kind of went back and forth on was who was driving and who was in the backseat. And the reason for that is because whoever was in the backseat is the one that actually commits the murder. Okay, so that's, that's really the only thing that they kind of butt heads on. Leopold and Loeb had enter, entered, had rented a car on May 21st, 1924 under the name Morton D. Ballard. I'm sorry, wait. Back up, back up a minute. Didn't Loeb say when Leopold was confessing, you know, that he was in the backseat of the car? Loeb said that Leopold was in the backseat. And when Leopold um, confessed, he said Loeb was in the backseat. Okay. Why was... I'm sorry. One well, last question. Why was the person in the backseat the one who committed the murder? I'm going to get into that right now. Yes, ma'am. They rented a car under the name of Morton D. Ballard. They had actually been planning this for six to seven months, and they weren't actually sure who their victim would be. And they drove around searching for a victim. They knew they wanted a male victim because girls were more heavily watched. And in the early stages of their planning, they had considered killing their own father. 
but ended up deciding on we'll just drive around and what feels right feels right, you know? It never feels right. Nothing about murder should feel right. Correct. Yes. They just happened to find Bobby Franks walking home from school. Leopold and Loeb had stopped and offered Bobby a ride home, which Bobby had initially declined. He was only two blocks away from home at the time. Loeb was able to lure him into the car by discussing a tennis racket that he had been using. And let's keep in mind that Loeb is Bobby Frank's second cousin. Now, again, it's unclear who was driving and who was in the back seat, but most people do believe that it was Loeb in the back seat. However, there is circumstantial evidence that Leopold was the one in the back seat. There is an eyewitness uh, who states that he saw Loeb driving and Leopold in the back seat just moments before the kidnapping. However, they also could have switched off. Anything could have happened, but popular demand, most articles say that Loeb, not Loeb, Leopold was driving. So we're going to go off of that assumption. But I, Leopold. Leopold was driving. I know so, him, so why wasn't he in the backseat? I don't like either of them, so it doesn't really matter. So either way, when Bobby got into the car, Loeb from the backseat struck Bobby several times in the head with a chisel. They then a moved him a, yeah, a chisel. Huh, okay. Their weapon of choice. I don't know why you're confused. Oh, no, I'm not confused. I'm horrified. Out of okay. all the weapons. That's Yes. Oh, oh it gets worse. Okay. Uh, <laughs> they moved Bobby's, Bobby into the back seat and gagged him with a rag where he actually suffocated. And the so men drove. he initially died? He died almost immediately after they grabbed him. Because oh. they, they bludgeoned him and then ended up suffocating him. So he couldn't even have a quick death. He suffered. Amanda, are you okay there? Good. We're, we're good. Jesus. Okay. So they drove to their designated spot to leave the body. And there are reports that they actually stopped to get hot dogs and root beer on their way to place Bobby's body. Monsters. Yes, I agree with that wholeheartedly. Once they were at the designated spot, they stripped Bobby down and poured hydrochloric acid on his face and genitals in an effort to obscure his identity. And they returned to Chicago where they made the call as George Johnson and they mailed the typed ransom letter, which had been typed up prior to committing the crime. It's not clear who typed it up. I'm assuming it was a joint effort on who typed it. Definitely Leopold. I think That's they both Brianna's did it. personal opinion. I think it was a joint effort. We're, we're going to say that. So they called the, the family under their pseudoname, and then they burned their bloodstained clothing. They cleaned the blood from the rental car and they spent the remainder of the evening playing cards. You, After you spent the, re I'm sorry, I just need to comment on this. You spent the remainder of your evening playing cards after you killed this innocent boy. What is wrong with you? What goes through your minds to think that it is okay to kill He's just so cute. He looks like, I don't know, I want to say like 11 or 12. He's 14. Okay, 14. He just looks so cute. He hasn't gone through his growth spurt yet. Like, 
Mm-hmm. He just looks like one of those boys where if I were in middle school, in his middle school, I would, I would want to, I would have a crush on him, you know? Oh my God. Y'all, this is me freaking out. I can't. Okay. That's the end of my rant, but that's so sad. I don't know. They both kind of look like arrogant pricks to me. Mm-hmm. Okay. To be honest, Leopold, yes, I definitely see that. Loeb looks like somebody that I would have fallen for, though. Like, hands down. So he looks I, like a playboy to me. So Yeah, he does. Okay. He really does. So, so they spent their night playing cards. And after the discovery of Bobby's body, which they had not expected, they didn't realize in the dark that they could see Bobby's feet from the culvert. Um, so they very much didn't expect for police to find his body so quickly. And after that discovery, Leob had, Leob, Loeb had gone about his day fairly quietly, just kind of keeping his head down. Uh, Leopold, on the other hand, spoke freely to police and reporters. He offered theories and told one de- detective, and I quote, If I were to murder anybody, it would be just such a cocky little son of a bitch as Bobby Franks. This is before he was questioned. Leopold and Loeb, they retraced their steps leading up to the crime, even, even taking police to other and other spectators or journalists to the store where they purchased the chisel from that morning. They demonstrated how they had committed the crime and how they had left the body. Both men showed minimal remorse to a point that some people saw them as being proud and braggarts. Leopold stated that the murder of Bobby Franks didn't concern him. When asked, he stated, another quote, It is easy to justify such a death as it is to justify an entomologist impaling a beetle on a pin. What is an entomologist? Thank you for asking. An entomologist is a branch of zoology that's concerned with insects. Will you please repeat that quote? It is as easy to justify such a death as it is to justify an entomologist impaling a beetle on a pin. That's fucked. My my brain wants to say kind of because, I don't know, you know, an animal killing its own species is the same thing as an animal killing its own species, but... But and he's I hate- comparing Bobby Franks to a beetle. Well, okay... What I'm saying is that it's not the same because humans have established so many laws to prevent against murder, right? And I don't know, species do it every, or genesis, whatever you want to call it, do it every single day, but... I don't know what you're getting at because an entomologist is a person... That is sticking a pin through a beetle. Yeah, he's literally not looking at this boy as a human. He's comparing him to an insect. There's got to be something psychologically wrong with that. Well, shit. Okay, keep going. Again, both men confessed that the crime had been months of planning and that the intent was always to murder someone because they wanted to commit the perfect crime. They had also planned to collect the ransom, which they had demanded $10,000. Um, 
and they they both fully expected to get away with it. I'm sorry, do you not have enough money? They said they did it because they could, and it was fun for the thrill of it. Fuck. Are you shitting me? Literally, I mean, okay, I get Leopold didn't have as much money as Loeb, but still, holy fucking shit. That is not okay. Just because they did it for the hell of it? Fuck you. How do you feel about Loeb now? Oh my god, I hate them. I hate both. Okay, well, all right, so I knew it the very beginning when I said that. I just said that potentially, if I didn't know who he was, you know, in his private life, I would fall for him because of his looks, because, you know, you, you fall for, in today's society, you fall for somebody's looks based, you fall for somebody based off of their looks. That's what I was trying to say. Sorry, y'all, for the many. Okay. Um, I disagree with that statement, but we're not going to fight over that one. <laughs> okay. So I'm going to continue. I hate them. Both of them. At this point. So in the end, Leopold and Loeb were the most helpful components of sorting out all of the evidence. On May 31st, 1924, the state attorney announced the confessions. And this quickly became very sensational across the U.S., even becoming headline news in the New York Times three days in a row. To the public eye, Leopold appeared to be a monster, very heartless and just, like, awful. And Loeb appeared to be, like, a carefree playboy who was led astray. So... I mean, there's more sympathy towards Loeb at this point, and Leopold is considered this monster. Just to clarify, though, Loeb was originally the idea maker, right? He originally had the idea to kill. Uh, Supposedly, yes. Okay. So they just Um, painted a better picture of him because he was pretty. uh, He also acted slightly differently. He had... They just, the way he acted made him look more like he was more, man, like he was ma- manipulated. Whereas uh, Leopold looked like he was the manipulator. Gotcha. But the way that you described both of them, I feel like that's very true. Because I didn't get a lot on Loeb, but I got a whole lot on Leopold. So I don't know. I feel, I feel like it's backwards. And Loeb really? is the manipulator. Later, and I feel like Leopold's going to be the follower. Really? Interesting. So state attorney Robert Crow announced publicly that he would be seeking the death penalty during trial. And he really believed that justice would come in the form of death penalty for this. He didn't think any other form of justice was doable. And Loeb's family immediately hired criminal defense attorney Clarence Darrow. 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 I did this like for an hour with Cody the other day. I don't know if it's Darrow. I think it's Darrow. Anyways, you guys can go into picture hey, Darryl, six. I feel like that's kind of the... I think it's Darrow. Oh, Darrow. Um, okay. I thought I... you were saying Darrell. No, but Manel. I'm thinking of Darrow, so I think it's Darrow. Yeah. So anyways, uh, Clarence Darrow was a renowned criminal defense attorney. He was a huge opponent of capital punishment. He hated it. 
And he thought that your upbringing is what caused you to be who you are. So he believed in nurture over nature. And he eventually was known as the, ter- the attorney of the damned. Loeb's uncle reportedly begged Darrow to get them a life sentence rather than the gallows. They weren't trying to get them off. They were trying to get them anything less than the death penalty. And supposedly, they offered to pay him whatever it took. It was rumored that he was to be paid $1 million for his services, but reports actually state he was paid $70,000. In 2020... a lot. But... In 2020, that $70,000 would be the equivalent of a million. So we're, it's not clear if that's what's gotten mixed in translation there. Okay. So he was the attorney for both of them, correct? Yes. Okay. Just wanted to make sure. Yep. Clarence Darrow did take the case. And he took the case in an attempt to save Leopold and Loeb's lives. There is one report that he... In his career, he had only ever lost one case in the sense of he wasn't able to save someone from the death penalty, but I didn't do too much work uh, research on that. So he, like I said, he's just such a huge opponent of the death penalty of capital punishment that he, he was willing to take on the case. So the state attorney arranged for both boys to be examined by the CD's, city's leading alienist or psychiatrist. Um, state attorney Robert Crow was trying to block what he believed to be Darrow's only line of defense, which was an insanity defense. And all of the city's leading psychiatrists said that both of the boys were perfectly sane and there was nothing wrong with them. Shocker. <clears throat> By the time Darrow arrives, Loeb and Leopold had been in custody for three days and the entire time they had been talking with police. Reportedly, Loeb's first impression of Darrow is what he said was one of horror. And that's because Darrow's not like this clean-cut, fancy suit type of guy. Like, that picture I gave of you is him pretty clean-cut. But in general, he's normally got messy hair. He's not always perfect and tidy. So the boys were a little hesitant to have him as their lawyer. But on June 11th, 1924... Darrow, Leopold, and Loeb appear before Judge John Caverly, and Darrow enters into a plea of not guilty. This gave him time to bring in experts from all over the country to examine the boys. Um, So he was really trying to buy himself time. So they brought in experts, including physicians, adolescent criminologists, psychiatrists that were versed in the new analytic technique of Sigmund Freud. For those of you who are not familiar with who Freud is, was, he was an Austrian neurologist and the founder of psychoanalysis, which is a clinical method of treating psychopathology through dialogue between a patient and the psychoanalyst. So that was kind of his methodology. And I got that information directly from Wikipedia. So thank you, Wikipedia. And over the next five weeks, Over the next five weeks, Darrow's team subjects the boys to thorough examination, and they begin to build their defense. Darrow wanted to know public opinion, and he sent out his team to the streets of Chicago and pulled the public to find the image of Leopold and Loeb. 60% of the polled population believed that 
both of the boys should be hanged for their crime. And all the while, during this five-week period, the media is having an absolute heyday. Many people questioned if the way of life was turning kids homicidal. Some believed there were perils of modern life, such as the music was wild, skirts were too short, and movies were becoming more graphic. What, um, <clears throat> what fucking year is this? 1924. <sighs> okay. Sound familiar? Yeah. Unfortunately. Yeah. <clears throat> Many people questioned where this was leading America. Like, they're putting a lot of political weight in this as well. Some people believe that Americans were actually over-educating their children. <laughs> I'm so glad you laughed at that, because I did too. You're shitting me, right? <laughs> people okay, believe that they were over-educating their children. And others <laughs> believe that modernism and prosperity and too much indulgence in American children was having a negative effect on American society. So during the early stages of Darrow building their defense, it's reported that Darrow had a very bleak outlook and he was unsure he would be able to save uh, Leopold and Loeb's lives. He's literally not trying to get them out of jail. He's just trying to get the, anything less than the death penalty. That's, that's all he's trying to do. So he, he knew what media attention looked like. And he, he knew that it, the media had given him his clients an even worse reputation than what he would have preferred. He believed if they went to trial that a jury would for sure vote for conviction and ultimately the death penalty. On July 21st, 1924, Darrow and his clients present a motion to Judge Caverly to enter a plea of guilty. And this shocked everyone. Now, this changed the game, and this was very strategic. Now that they're entering into a guilty plea, they're not going to trial. There's no longer going to be a jury. They will be going through sentencing hearings only. And like I said, this changed the game completely. Because now instead of them needing to sway many, they only need to sway one person, and that is Judge John Caverly. So they're changing the game to their benefit. And uh, state attorney Robert Crow was blindsided by this. He had been completely compared for an insanity defense. And basically, uh, Darrow, Darrow, Darrow. I can't remember how I keep saying it. Um, Darrow had a plan to present psychological weaknesses as a mitigating factor for why Leopold and Loeb killed Bobby Franks. In a nutshell, what that means is that he's saying they fully admit to the murder, but they want to show you why they did it. Darrow would present groundbreaking evidence to the court to argue for anything less than the death penalty. And Crow, the state attorney, believed that the whole notion was completely ridiculous and that it shouldn't be allowed to continue. They were allowed to continue. On July 23rd, 1924, the sentencing hearings begin. Media on this case has been huge from the beginning, and you can bet during the trial that the media was there and the courtroom was packed. It was so packed that reporters commandeered the jury box since there would be no jury. Like, it was that packed. They had nowhere else to go. Prosecuting attorney, state attorney, Crow, 
presents his case and provides a list of over a hundred witnesses who would testify. Each witness documented details of the crime or the defendant's character. While this is technically no longer a trial, it's a sentencing hearing, Crow still needs to show evidence of the defendant's guilt as well as why he has a platform for the death penalty. He is pushing for something very severe, so he needs to have a very solid foundation for his case. And he does a very thorough job of presenting everything. He doesn't miss anything. And by the time Crow finishes, there's really no doubt in anyone's minds that Leopold and Loeb commit this crime. Now, throughout the state's presentation, the boys, Leopold and Loeb, sat behind Darrow. Darrow, sorry. They sat behind Darrow snickering the entire time. And this just shocked people. Like, these boys are fighting for their lives. Why would they act like this? They showed no remorse. Their family showed more uh, distress and remorse than them. Leopold's father went to every single hearing. Uh, Loeb's parents were a little different. They actually jetted off to their summer home. But regardless, I mean, these boys are laughing during court. And at the same time, that shows that they have... I don't know what it's called, but like they don't have emotion. They are not in tune with their emotions. Well, yeah, we'll get into that. With their disassociated. They are disassociated, exactly what I was trying to say, with their, with certain types of emotions that they cannot comprehend. Normally, when you present witnesses, the defense attorney is allowed to cross-examine. But during the state's evidence and witnesses, Darrow's remains silent and doesn't cross-examine any of the witnesses. And this was actually a strategic move on his part. He didn't really? want to give more spirit to what was already there. So he's saying, yes, these are factual. I'm not going to object to these and make this more dramatic than what it needs to be. And so he stayed silent. And Crow spent a full seven days reviewing the facts, witnesses, and building the foundation for a death sentence. On July 30th, 1942, Darrow and the defense team take charge. Darrow begins by telling Judge Caverly that it was his intention to show that Leopold and Loeb were diseased both physically and mentally. And that they were not responsible for their actions. I'm sorry, physically? Okay, I can kind of see mentally in that they can't associate sadness with what had happened. They can't act sad. I'm going to get into that right now. I'm not even going to do teasers. He calls his team of experts to the stand to show their findings. And they offer just mounds of evidence of the boys' abnormalities. Some of them were physical abnormalities, like their forehead was a little longer or weird things like that. And one witness testified to the dysfunctional endocrine glands in both boys. And to my understanding, the endocrine glands do a lot with hormones. And so basically what they're saying is their hormones are out of whack. Um, Another witness testified to the delusions that Leopold and Loeb had leading up to the crime, including that uh, Superman ideology they had. 
And psychiatrists argued that Leopold was not the mastermind, but rather Loeb, the carefree playboy, was the mastermind. Called it. Leopold and Loeb had a master-slave dynamic. Leopold, nope, Loeb had a fantasy of being a master criminal, while Leopold fantasized of being the slave to a king. And these inner fantasies is what created such a unique bond between the two boys. And that is what caused them to have this weird ideology that they could get away with the perfect crime. Okay. Which, you know what? If that's your kink, fine. Cool. Do it. Okay? Don't kill anybody. I can't control that. I completely understand. Now that you say that about Loeb, I can definitely see that in the first picture that you showed of him. So the fourth picture, technically. I don't know. For some reason, I just don't see Leopold as a follower. I see him as like taking control. And that's why I'm just so completely hesitant on this. The reason I don't is because... That's just based off of his looks, but keep going. Well, I I mean, just base... If you were basing off his looks, I don't really care. I don't think... I think both of them are stupid. So... (laughs) (laughs) The defense argued that the boys suffered from stunted emotional growth. Loeb was described as a little... Loeb was described as a child emotionally still talking to his teddy bear. One of the psychiatrists told the court, and I quote, he is infantile, I should say somewhere around four or five years old, emotionally. And did your teddy bear tell you to kill somebody? You killed somebody. You told me that Leopold was a child, was thought to be a child prodigy. Loeb Uh graduated college two years before him, so I think that he's a damn good child child two years before him. Well, he graduated at age 17, and Leopold graduated at age 19. Mm Mm-hmm. Doesn't make him a prodigy. The prodigy comes from Leopold having all these different, uh, studying these different languages and being able to fluently speak five different languages at the age of 19. I can barely speak English. And we still argue about how to say Colorado. I graduated high school at age 17. So? Well, yeah, 17. That doesn't make you a prodigy. I'm sorry. No, I, I know. He graduated college at 17. That's what I'm saying. I know, but technically Loeb graduated, not Loeb, Leopold graduated at 18. By the time he was 19, he had graduated. He was going on to law school at the age of 19. So it's not a huge difference. So what you're saying is that Leopold was the follower. Leob was the leader. Loeb was the leader. Loeb. The defense argued that both boys had been neglected by their parents. And they both had governesses that exerted an enormous amount of control over them as children. They basically said that Leopold had been sexually abused by his governess at the age of 12. And Loeb had a governess that did governess that stepped in as a mother figure who pushed him to excel in the classroom. And this 
This pushing caused him to become very resentful, and he did begin lying at a young age. And their argument was basically trying to turn the boys into victims and show that they should be pitied rather than hated. How fucking dare you? That's all I gotta say. I'm just I'm leaving it. Which there. which one? Like if you were assaulted when you were little, like, okay, I'm in no way, shape, or form belittling that or trying to, like, bypass it or whatever. I feel for you on that. But you fucking killed somebody, okay? I understand you may be a victim because of your childhood, but you killed this child. You robbed him of his childhood. Okay, Leopold, because remember, the person in the back seat was said to have killed Loeb was in the back seat. Leopold was the one driving. Leopold supposedly. was also the one. Supposedly. supposedly. Leopold was also the one who got it, who was assaulted. Assaulted. When assaulted. He was, yeah, sexually assaulted when he was a kid. So Leopold was just the follower. He was blindly following. Mm. And y'all, I'll get into this in a different podcast. I'll look up you know, stories about this. But when you blindly follow love, you it's so I, it is so hard to tell yourself that that's not okay. You know, Loeb was the actual like physical he said did you say like king or some figure? The master or, slave. He wanted to be a master criminal. Yeah. He wanted to be a master criminal. So he was the actual leader he was the person that leopold was following and he was the person that said oh no it's okay all this stuff here's the thing is this was very premeditated they planned this for six to seven months that is a long time to plan a murder plenty of time to disappear like that gave leopold if he was just a follower that gave him plenty of time to be like you know what this is probably not something I want to do. Like, I love you, but you have plenty of time to back out. Yeah. So they so you get the punishment. They Sorry, had a lot, a lot of, like, this was so premeditated. It's ridiculous. Okay. So unlike Darrow, Crow spent must, most of his time, much of his time, most much, all the same. They, he spent most of his time objecting to Darrow's defense. Darrow's defense gave Judge Caverly a completely different perspective. And this goes for all of America. People were absolutely fascinated by this new defense. And the American public and many parents began to fix on, fixate on what they could learn about their own children from this case. Not I mean, bad thing. no, but I, they're just, it's fascinating, like the psychology behind it and everything and on august 18th 1924 after two and a half weeks of testimony the defense finally rested closing arguments began on august 22nd 1924 and by 2 p.m more than 2,000 people had gathered at the courthouse doors and began pushing their way in this was very well could have been because it was such a sensational case but also there are rumors that Darrow may have alluded to media that this was going to be his final case. And that, again, was another strategic move to get some of the attention off of Leopold and Loeb and onto him. 
And it worked, if that is truly what he did. Now, they're coming in for closing arguments. And State Attorney Crow, he does his closing arguments, and he fought tooth and nail for the death penalty. At one point, he even alluded to there being a sexual motive to the crime. And he now introduces this idea that Bobby had been molested before and or after his death. He didn't really have a lot of information or a ground a leg to stand on for that one. But he kind of introduces that idea and it gets to a point where Judge Caverly actually orders the female reporters to leave the courtroom because their dainty little ears couldn't handle such a thing. Fuck that. Talk Man, I would want to get all the juicy gossip. Are you kidding me? It's 1924. Okay, but still... I mean, 1924, it's a different time. There's different ideologies. They act differently. There's gentlemen in the world that don't want dainty little ears to hear weird things. In Darrow's closing arguments, he spoke continuously for the better part of three days or 12 hours. I couldn't get clarification on it if it was three days or 12 hours. Really big difference, but regardless, he. He had this very long-winded closing statement. And during a lot of this time, he was actually setting up an emotional state for Judge Caverly. I watched a documentary that talked about if you actually read the transcript, it would feel like he was all over the place. Darrow was. But he had such a way with him that he was very good with words. He was actually just setting it up to to really impact the judge how he needed to more of like storytelling yes amanda i have never been on a jury okay but i cannot imagine going to court and the same man coming in we start court he's talking break for lunch he comes back to talking go home come back the next day he's still fucking talking i can't imagine how that works i don't know so we just I can't tell you either. I've never been in court either. <laughs> so this is actually a quote from his closing arguments. And I actually found this a very interesting quote. This terrible crime was inherent in his organism and it came from some ancestor. Is any blame attached because somebody took Nietzsche's philosophy seriously and fashioned his life upon it? It is hardly fair to hang a 19-year-old boy for the philosophy that was taught to him at the university. What? Nietzsche. That's the Superman guy. Got you. Okay, 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 okay. Okay. Two. What was taught to him at the university that taught him to kill? It wasn't that it taught him to kill. It's the philosophy of the Superman that they were above the law or above morality. I don't agree with that, though. I don't. I just thought it was an interesting perspective. It is. I'll give him that. But just because Mm -hmm. that's like me telling you. I don't fucking know. That's like me telling you something like that. Like, hey, this guy believes this. And then you're like, I like that. I'm going to contribute that to my life. Me too. Mm -hmm. I'm going to contribute that tomorrow. No. Like I said, I don't control it. I'm just telling you, I did find it to be a very interesting perspective he presented. Well, I both like and hate your story, so please continue. I'm ready. 
Um, Darrow spoke of youth and he maintained that the boys were still just children. He talked about the previous century and how there were no, uh, that no one younger than 23 had been executed in Illinois on a guilty plea. So he's setting some legal, legal precedents there as well. Well, you're going to be the first to kill 19 year olds because they are both 19 at this point. And he stated that for the state to demand such a hefty price, it was barbarous and evident of the savagery that the recent world war had unleashed. He's good with vocabulary. Very passionate. Like I said, he is, if he were alive and I needed a defense attorney, I am calling him. (laughs) By the end of his statement, he had brought Loeb and Judge Caverly to tears. He just had this finesse. The sentencing hearing, or the trial as it's more commonly referred to, even though it's a sentencing hearing, took a total of 32 days. At the end of the sentencing hearing, bookies actually began offering three to one odds against a death sentence. And at this point, it's now all on Judge Cafferly. He has to wrestle with this decision. And in a lot of people's eyes, this is more political. For a lot of people... What really hung in the balance for them was what th- was the very meaning of justice. And on September 10th, 1924, court assembles again. Judge Caverly said he was not going to be swayed by the scientific evidence. It was interesting, but ultimately they pled guilty. And as soon as he said this, everyone was like, oh man, we're, ha- we're headed for the hangman. But as he goes on, they quickly realize that they weren't headed for the hangman or the gallows. They were headed for prison. And this is a quote from Judge Caverly. The court believes that it is within his province to decline to impose the sentence of death on persons who are not of full age. In the end, he hung to this legal idea of precedence. And he wasn't going to be the first to hang a 19-year-old. So Leopold and Loeb were sentenced to life in prison for the murder of Bobby Franks and 99 years for the kidnapping. And you guys can go ahead and go to picture seven now, <coughs> which is just their mugshots. What is considered in his mind of full age? I'm just curious. I'm assuming 23. <laughs> well, shit, I'm still not there. There was outrage across the country. There were so many accusations that Leopold and Loeb bought their way out of the hangman's noose. Like, everyone was like, they're just rich pricks that were able to pay the judge off. I 100% understand that case. I am one of those people who says that case. But I disagree. Because Darrow, as you said, literally brought the judge to tears. I yeah, it they no. I think it was Darrow, fabulous defense attorney who exactly. So this case later becomes known as the crime of the century. After the trial, Darrow then launched a campaign to end capital punishment in Illinois. He does die in 1938 at the age of 80. The boys in 1924 go back to their holding cell in the county jail before being transported to the penitentiary at Juliet. I'm sorry. It is re- 
you said crime of the century, but it was only the 1920s. That's what they labeled it as. I don't <laughs> control that. Weren't there like multiple crimes of the century afterwards? Oh, yeah, definitely. <laughs> One so, of the crimes of the century. They there call it go. the crime of the century <laughs> in Illinois. It's crime of the simper- t- century. Yeah. Of Maybe the crime of the decade. I think it's <laughs> According crime of the to decade. Amanda. <laughs> crime of the decade. There we go. That's better. I like We'll call that it better. the crime of the decade for our purposes, but uh, others know it as the crime of the century. And so the boys go back to their holding cell at the county jail before being transported to the penitentiary at Joliet. And it's reported, not verified, that Leopold called to the sheriff to arrange their last good meal of thick steaks smothered in onions and chocolate eclairs. While in prison, the two were able to maintain their friendship despite a not-so-great effort to keep them separated. Yes. Switch back. Like, 10 Are we seconds. going back to the steak? Yeah, yes. Okay. He said last meal. However, good that's meal. Four... Last good meal. Okay. Like, not prison food. So you can ask for that, the last good meal, bef- I don't know. before you go into prison? I have no clue. They were rich. I don't know. Okay. That's just reported. It's not verified. I just thought it was interesting. So. Okay. They did maintain. They did maintain their friendship. They said there was an effort to keep them separated. I don't think it was a very good effort. The reason I say that is because in 1931, Leopold was transferred to Stateville Penitentiary. And you guys can go into picture eight, which is a picture of Leopold in 1931. And later on, Loeb is also transferred to Stateville Penitentiary. So if they're trying to keep them apart, they're not doing a hot job. Yeah, it doesn't, it seems like you possibly could have tried a little harder just by, off the top of my head, not putting them in the same prison. That's what I would think. But, whatever. Loeb is later transferred, and the two of them would go on to expand the prison school system, actually adding high school and junior college curriculum. On January 28th, 1936, Richard Loeb was attacked by fellow inmate James Day. Day attacked him with a straight razor in a shower room, and Loeb had more than 50 wounds, including defensive wounds. His throat had been slashed from behind, and he died shortly after in the prison hospital. Day claims to have been defending himself, but interestingly interestingly enough, was unharmed. It later came out that Loeb could have possibly propositioned Day, and the prison kind of brushed that under the rug, and they did rule that Day had been defending himself. Uh, Day was later tried and acquitted of Loeb's murder. Uh, And again, it comes out later that Loeb was likely not propositioning him or sexually assaulting him because he had nothing. He was actually a model prisoner for the most part. And Day, on the other hand, was not. Wait, so, I'm sorry. Just in short, you're saying that essentially they said that originally Day was propositioned by Loeb, but that that could not have happened because Loeb was a model prisoner. No, it's likely that it didn't happen. So basically, 
What happened is Loeb was attacked in the shower room by Day. Day claims that he was defending himself, whether he was defending himself in the shower room or saying that he was uh, propositioned and he didn't like it. So he attacked Loeb. The system at that time kind of brushed it under the rug and they let Day go for it. They didn't. He was acquitted of the murder of Richard Loeb. It just in prison doesn't mean that he should be acquitted of the murder. But he's also in prison for killing a child. And Loeb is, yes. Yeah. Prisoners, you know, even in jail, they don't like that shit. Especially if they were alluding to him or them possibly sexually assaulting that child as well. That shit don't fly in prison. After Loeb's death, Leopold actually becomes severely depressed. But despite this, he does continue a lot of his work and he is a model prisoner he made so many contributions to improving conditions at the penitentiary including reorganizing the prison's library revamping their schooling system teaching at the revamped schooling system volunteer work in the prison hospital and many other things in 1994 leopold actually volunteered for the state penitentiary uh, malaria study. <clears throat> Leopold was basically inoculated with malaria pathogens intentionally, and then was experimented on for treatments. He volunteered for that. I did. He know what he was volunteering for? I think so. I'm. Sorry, will you please explain to me what inoculate means? They gave him malaria. Fantastic. Probably, if I had to guess, injected him with it. Yeah. They basically gave him a disease. So he knew. He had to have known after he volunteered. Holy shit. After. I don't know if he knew before. I'm not. No. That's rough. In the early 50s. I mean, you did say he was depressed. So... Poor guy. That was also 1994, which was like... Eight years after? Not 94. I'm sorry. 1944. Oh my. Holy shit. No, that's not eight years. That's fucking sorry. like 60 years. Shit. No, I'm sorry. It was eight years after Loeb's death. Okay. So 44. I apologize. Um, In the early 50s, author Mayor Levin requested cooperation from Leopold to write a novel based off of Bobby Frank's murder. Leopold actually declined. He didn't want any part of this story fictionalized. He basically was like, no, we're not going to do this. Not happening. But he offered for Levin to contribute to the memoir he had been writing. And Levin was like, no, that's stupid. And he didn't like that. And he continued to write a novel called Compulsion. Leopold protested this left and right, but the book was published in 1956, and he did read it. He said he struggled to read it. He didn't say why. He said it made him nauseous. I don't know why. Um, That was his crime. Uh, But in 1959, he tried to block the production of the film adaptation of Compulsion. He basically said that the book had invaded his privacy and defamed him and it profited from his life story and that the fact and the fiction in the book were intermingled. 
And the Supreme Court ultimately ruled against Leopold, stating that he confessed to what was known as the crime of the century, and he could not reasonably argue that the book had injured his reputation. Number one, no duh, because he was literally convicted as the crime of the century, even though we know that it wasn't the crime of the century because, you know, there were plenty other crimes of the century. Number two, I understand, I personally have not read this book. I understand if he were trying to take it off of, I'm sorry, I don't know what exact lingo you used, but take it off of the market so it weren't public, so it it was not published. Yeah, take it out of publication. Um, Because he was, as you said previously, the follower and not the leader, but... At the same time, if you were writing a book, wouldn't you want to write at least as much nonfiction as you can and as little fiction as you can, as in the details that you can't fit in? That, that depends makes- on how much money he was willing to make off of it. Mm-hmm. He can always lie. I mean, people do it I nowadays. Mean, yeah, if it were considered a fiction book, I guess he could. Fictional book i mean it was i mean it was based off of the crime but it was not a a memoir it wasn't it wasn't solely factual about that crime there were fictional pieces to it but my thing is he tried to say that he like he defamed him and broski you were already defamed how can you argue that that damaged your reputation in any way shape or form yeah that's what i was gonna say like if he did do that that sucks yeah. But let's be real here. What could he have possibly said to make you look worse? He actually did write a book called Life Plus 99 Years, which came out in 1958. And this is Leopold. And I'm going to be honest. I looked up the book. It cost 70 something dollars. And I said, no. Nope. So we did not read that book. Hard pass. Yes. Also, I didn't know where that money would go. So it was like, nah, pass. I feel um, that. And in this book, it actually takes place in the aftermath of the crime. And he got a lot of criticism for this because there were no details of the crime or of his past in the book. And a lot of people thought he wrote this to gain public favor, which he probably did. And he was actually released from prison in 1958 on parole after 33 years in prison. Who? Nathan Leopold. Oh. He does later write that all of his good work in prison and like him being that model prisoner and after his release was an effort to compensate for his crime. Which granted, he did do a lot. I'll give him respect and I'll give him credit for that. I mean, he got injected with malaria for God's sake. Okay. So Leopold pled for his privacy and... That was directly after getting out of jail and the way out of prison and the way he was able to actually be released on parole. He was sponsored by the Brethren Service Commission. Uh, Basically, they were able to get him a job, a home, all of the stability, and they monitored him. They were his sponsor. Um, And they they were the reason he really was able to get out. 
They got him a job as a medical technician at a hospital in Puerto Rico. And uh, at the hospital he worked at, he was known as Nate. While in Puerto Rico, Leopold married a widowed florist. He also earned a master's degree at the University of Puerto Rico and was uh, was allowed to teach classes there. He became a researcher in social service programs in Puerto Rico for the health department. He also worked for an urban renewal and housing agency in Puerto Rico, and he participated in research on leprosy at the University of Puerto Rico, and he maintained his interest in birds and the devil's creatures, and he was active in Natural History Society of Puerto Rico. And he was able to travel through Puerto Rico and observe the bird life. Amanda, you may ask your question now. That's what I was going to ask if he was the one that was all about birds. And that's kind of cute that he married a florist. He liked birds and she likes flowers. Or they like flowers. So it's a good thing I didn't let you ask your question. Okay, Brie, your hand has been up so patiently. Okay, so I know at the very beginning that I said... I this guy did it, but you're being a little wishy-washy. No. <laughs> Shut the fuck up. Okay, so now that I know what exactly happens, if anything, Leopold looks kind of innocent. And Loeb, if okay, in the fourth picture, aka in the first picture of Loeb, if anything, it looks like he's looking down. As if it looks like he's, he thinks that he is better than anyone else that he is with or anyone else that is photo- photographing him or anything, right? Whereas. Are you talking about Loeb or Leopold? Loeb. Okay. Whereas with Leopold, he's looking straight at the camera and he's natural, as in he is showing his full self. I mean, with a suit and tie. He's showing his full self and he's looking at the camera and he is just very, I don't know, his... (laughs) And I know that I said the complete opposite at the beginning of this, but his eyes just look empathetic. As if he feels for, I don't know, something. He better, he killed a boy. Mm-hmm. I still do not feel bad for him. I'm glad he got his, he turned his life around and he got his shit together. Well, I'm happy for that. But you had oh, like as he planned this for how many for how long? Six months, six to seven months. That's a fucking wedding. People plan weddings for that long. No. So in 1958, he attempted to set up the Leopold Foundation to be funded by royalties from his book Life Plus 99 Years. And this is a quote. This is not my quote. This is a Wikipedia quote. And I assume they're Tis quoting a Leopold. It is not a Bryce quote. So this foundation was set up to, and I quote, aid emotionally disturbed, retarded, or delinquent youths. End quote. Not my words. Tis a quote. Now, the state of Illinois avoided this charter that he tried to create on the grounds that it violated the terms of his parole. In 1963, he publishes a second book called Checklist of Birds of Puerto Rico and the Virgin Islands. 
And Leopold died of a heart attack due to complications with diabetes on August 29th, 1971 at the age of 66. That's young. Not as young as 14. He did a lot of good to compensate for the bad he did. And I do think he held a lot of guilt for it. Or else I don't think he would have done so much if he didn't have that much guilt. I agree with that. It was Job. Job, right? Loeb. Loeb. Oh my gosh. I literally Like an old Job. <laughs> it was so. Loeb. So and that put all of the ideas into his head. So that yes. relates back to us being 19 years old, because both of these boys were 19 years old. And we are not murderers, Mark Zuckerberg. That was Bree's idea. Okay. Not mine, not Amanda's. No, that was literally just me trying to describe to Amanda what could what I forget what it was. What could it potentially was asking happen. how to casually ask someone to commit a murder i need new friends that is exactly that was me potentially use me but just amanda i need new friends yeah you're right i have enough friends that was me showing to amanda what a potential me asking to her if she would commit, if she would kill somebody with me, suggesting listen, if she would kill listen. somebody with me, that she would kill you somebody. You named with names. Me. You named names. I did not. I gave her the example. Amanda. Of, hey, Amanda, let's go kill someone. Amanda. And she was yeah, you down. know, you did <laughs> pull that name out of thin air pretty fast. Like, <laughs> what? You, you were Zuckerberg? Yes. yes. Like, what do you have against Mark Zuckerberg? So, I have about eight, I believe, little lumberjack lore or North American folklores. They're all pretty quick. However, I do have either a cat or a dog to begin with. So, what I'm going to do is flip this coin and y'all are going to choose heads or tails. And that'll Heads. be either the cat or the dog first. Heads. Tail. Heads. Heads. Ha! So. Hey, not I believe that if you say it enough, you say it into existence. So she said it more than I did. So I said it like 30 times. I was adamant. Okay. So that means we are going to start with the axe handle hound, which is that first photo on the drive. Very fun. Oh, I'm excited. And I do just want to shout out lumberwoods.org because that is where I found all of these photos and a lot of the pictures. A lot. Two of the pictures. Wait. But very all, good. Website. All of these photos and a lot of the pictures. Those are two words for the exact same thing. All of the photos and lots, two of the pictures is what you just told us. So. No, she corrected to say only two of the pictures. Yeah. yeah. But photos okay, and found, pictures are the same thing. Right. I found so all she, of the lore and two of the photos I used from that website. But okay. all of the th things I'm going to talk about today, I found on that website. And there's more, so I'll be able to do some more later on. Oh. Okay. So the axe handle hound is literally built like an axe. He's kind of muted. Oh. oh, I was yelling at my own dog. Oh. 
He has, or he or she, they have a skinny body with short legs and a square head that comes to a point at the snout like the head of an axe. I want one. They originated in Wisconsin and Minnesota. They're not deadly, but they are considered a nuisance because what they'll do is wander around at night just going from one logging camp to the next, and they actually steal axe handles and eat them. I love so, them so much. I want they one. Have, they have been said to make good pets as long as you feed them plenty of axe handles or I'm assuming some other kind of wood. Now, legend says that Jim Peters actually tamed one. No idea who Jim Peters is, by the way, but he's in the story. Okay. So they also said it wasn't a great idea because Jim Peters had a wooden leg. But to keep it away from the dog, he just wore the leg to bed. That way the axe handle hound couldn't get it. But eventually he did get rid of the dog by feeding it red oak axe handles, which apparently axe hounds hate red oak. Voyagers National Park in Minnesota. There is a campground called Axe Handle Hound. But if you want to go there, it is only accessible by canoe on Little Fork River. But I thought that was fun. Let's go. So next is the ball tail about- cat. Oh, I was huh? going to say, I want to talk about Cousin It. <laughs> next, we'll get to that one. Next is the ball tailed cat. That's the second photo. The ball tailed cat is found in Harney County, Oregon, and Sullivan County, Pennsylvania. It looks like a mountain lion, but it has an extra tail with a bony ball on the end of it. And the males actually me, by that picture that it has two extra tails. That it's got one tail coming down, but then no, 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 don't don't even fret because that tail connects to the other side. And then this this second tail comes down, and then it rolls up into a little ball. No, it's just one tail. It's just really long. Yeah, I was going to say, that's just one. Mm-hmm. But you said they had an extra tail or an extra long tail? An extra long tail. Okay. Oh, I thought you said extra. I thought you said extra tail, too. I don't remember what I said, but I meant an extra long tail. In my notes, it says extra long tail. The recording will tell us. I'll let you know in a few weeks. Okay. You said extra. I'm pretty sure she said extra. <laughs> no, anyway. Um, <laughs> Moving on. Male ball-tailed cats, they will attract females by drumming that ball against hollow logs. They are very good at climbing, thanks to their very sharp claws. And they're known to lay down on tree limbs, kind of hidden. And when a lumberjack walks underneath them, they will drop down on the lumberjack and then beat them to death with the ball of their tail. Well, then. Yeah, real chill. Um, you know what I keep imagining, though, is like what? this, a group of these male cats sitting around with like bongos <laughs> using their tail. <laughs> that is exactly what I imagined. So I'm glad. Yeah, you so, so similar. Like, I can't even compete half of the time. I don't even understand how you understand each other. <laughs> it's just, it. it's like an unspoken language between two twins maybe you should get a fraternity or well yeah a fraternity test to see if y'all are fraternity fraternal twins a DNA test uh maybe no, i should get test. a dna test to see if y'all are fraternal twins no joke i bet you are you have the unspoken language of twins I, i've 
multiple sets of best friends that are twins and they have that unspoken language that you two have i think what it is amanda and i decided this a long long time ago this was before Mm -hmm. we knew you is amanda and i are actually platonic soulmates yes so that's actually so cute i love that yeah so that's that's what it is i've determined and i haven't told my best friend this but i've determined that one of my best friends is also my platonic soulmate. It's time to tell her. Wonderful. Yeah, you have to be honest with your feelings. As long yeah. as she watches this podcast and asks about it, I will tell her. That third photo, if y'all want to look at that, it's so tiny. You have to actually open the picture to look at it. And it's called the come out of body. No, I want to look at the cousin it photo. We're getting Don't to it. Now. <laughs> so the come out of body. It was first seen by Mr. B.B. Bickman of Gorham, New Hampshire, and they are found only in the White Mountains uh, in New Hampshire and in southern Maine. It's a small animal that looks like a woodchuck, but it has velvety fur like a kitten. They are harmless, but they scare the shit out of you because they will jump out of bushes and run at you and they'll stop just a few feet from you and they'll hiss or spit like a cat. And some people say that it sprays a musky scent, kind of like a skunk. I don't know why, but the way that she said hiss or what did she say? Hiss or spits like a cat. It just, I don't know. That's hilarious because my cat does that sometimes. They just sound like a drama queen. Yeah. They're, um, they're not dangerous. Just, annoying now we've got the dungaven hooter they are common from maine to michigan they are highly yes they're enormous they're highly dangerous they have no mouth huge nostrils and they don't make noise but they're said to snort loudly so they're very quiet animals and you just hear a loud snorting can you imagine just being being there in the quiet and all of a sudden just hearing the snorting? No. And I live in Arkansas. Like, woo pig and shit, I guess. And I still woo can't pig. imagine that. Let's yeah, go! That's, that's what I call my baby, actually, because she eats a lot. So this is little woo pig. Oh, if they have no mouth, so how do they... She's, she's gonna be a famous racer back someday! <laughs> I'm sorry for interrupting you, Bryce. Keep going. Uh, If they have no mouth, how do they eat? I'm so glad you asked. Okay. They eat out of their butthole. (laughs) Not quite. No, there's a (laughs) t-shirt cannon over there. (laughs) And a push pop. (laughs) If you know, you know. So they have short legs and a strong tail. And they hide in wiffle bushes. And they wait for a logger to come by or to come close to him, they knock him down with their tail and then they jump on them until they turn into a gas and then they snort him through their enormous nostrils. That they, as in... A logger? The Dungan, the Dungan whatever the creature is Hooters. called or they, as in the human. The Dungaven Hooters knock down the loggers and then jump on them until they turn into a gas. And but then the Dungaven Hooters. What turns into a gas? The loggers. And then the Dungaven Hooters will snort the logger gas into their snout. And that, Bryce, is how they eat. 
I'm scared. Also, they really ever becomes a gas. How? Yeah, exactly. Keep jumping. What? But that, but that would just turn you into guts, not into gas. Unless I am not a scientist. Different type of gas that we are like too many beans type of gas. Oh, there. Scientifically, it's not possible. Sorry. I'm not a scientist, so I don't know. I just did the research. I also, also, but I did take biology and chemistry and whatever else is associated with turning in things turning into gas in high school and in college, and that is not scientific. Maybe, maybe they're but not. They didn't have a class that. on the Dungaven Hooters. They yeah. what? They didn't have a class on the Dungaven Hooters. A class? Yeah. What does that mean? Like a, a class, like in school, you didn't have a class that was about Dunhaven Hooters. Yeah, you didn't have a class. And oh, I was thinking like class teacher. rank, as in like you know, here are like the monsters of no. you know the twenty first century. Class. Here are the monsters of the I don't know the monsters that we don't know about. Here are the monsters of the Dungaven Hooters and others. I don't know. Um, my last bullet for them is they especially like rum drunk prey. So if you're out there logging and you're drunk on rum, you are just going to be snorted by a Dungaven Hooter. I'm sorry. Well, it's a good thing that I don't drink rum. If anything, yes. I like whiskey. Whiskey is the way to go, man. Woodford's Reserve. Actually, recently I just saw a commercial about Wood. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. I know we have to stay on topic. Woodford's Reserve is the way to go. If you ever do go near rum, stay away from wiffle bushes. What's a wiffle bush? I don't know. Okay. So the hide behind is what Bree has been wanting to get to. It's also highly dangerous. They are found throughout the top of the U.S. And you can see because there's a handy dandy little map on that photo. They avoid drunk people. They absolutely hate the smell of alcohol, and it's said that a single bottle of Uno, which is apparently a beer, will keep you safe and hide behind infested woods. What is this one for again? It's Cousin It. The it literally one. looks like Cousin It from... Oh my gosh, why? The, ble- the, 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 the Adam's okay. family. I was yeah, on this- the wrong picture, so I was confused. Okay. Yeah. Oh, I just realized that I switched them around and didn't change the photo. It's okay for me. <laughs> no, that's, that's fine. I just wanted to make sure. Okay. It does. Okay. It looks. It. I. I can't get the idea of it being a sloth without a face or a tail out of my head because that's all I can see. Okay. Y'all, I can see like, y'all have ever seen the Adams Family. If you have not, then please just y- go and watch the Adams Family right now. I'm pretty sure you can watch it for free on Vizio or whatever. If you've never I watched the Adams Family, but, stop listening right now because I'm offended. No, <laughs> keep listening and then watch it afterwards and unoffend Amanda. It literally looks like Cousin It, but instead he has a tail, sharp claws, and sharp finger toenail claws. Feet claws. I don't know how to say that. Yes. <laughs> but it the, looks like um, Cousin It, essentially, with claws and a tail. They are six feet tall with a slender frame. And they are able to completely hide behind a tree that is 10 inches in diameter. So not very big. They have black fur that is thick and long. They have a bent or curved tail. They are not known to have a face. So people have 
said that they don't know if they're coming or going. I don't know how that is because they have a tail. And they have bear-like claws. They're known to jump out from behind trees with an evil laugh and disembowel victims because they strictly and only eat intestines. Creepy. Wait, do they have mouths under all that fur? No what idea. What is a mouth? A what? Mouth? A mouth? Oh, this thing? I thought I thought you said mouth as in like N A L V E. No. I know what a mouth is, obviously, y'all. Thank you very much. Are you sure? Because you're questioning our sanity now. (laughs) (laughs) They are also known to sometimes howl and scare prey to death. So they have to have a mouth. I guess so. Okay. Again, I I don't don't have a face. Like I didn't study these. It's just under all the fur. Probably. They look like a wet poodle, kind of. They look like they a look really like cousin it. It looks mm. like a very furry cone head. They're never seen out in the open. They're all, always seen behind trees. And they're also said to be fast enough to stay behind you, regardless of how fast you turn around and try to see them. And they can go seven years in between meals. Holy shit. I mean, that is a long time. Yeah. Kind of like a tick. Kind of like a tick. Yeah, ticks can go years without eating, too. They kind of go into a hibernation-type phase. Mm-hmm. Well, I mean, bears can go a year without eating, and they go into the hibernation phase. I don't think bears go a year without eating. Yeah, they still eat. A winter without eating. No, they still eat. Yeah, they still eat. No, they they hibernate throughout the entire winter. A hibernation is not just solid sleep throughout the winter. It's reduced movement to conserve energy. They still go out and eat. Yeah. They teach you that shit in school, but when you actually research childhood was just blown out of my head. What the fuck? Yeah, mine was too, because when they taught you that shit in school, they very much made it seem like they just sleep for months on end. So back to the fifth picture. Sorry, Bryce. That is the Philomaloo bird, also known as a goofus bird with a G, not a D, or the flu fly bird. And they are not smart at all. Reminds me of a dodo bird. <laughs> I feel like flu fly bird is like, ding ding, they're dumb, you know? It's been argued that that's where the word doofus comes from, from the goofus bird. Doofus and goofus. They don't care where they're going, only where it's been, because they fly backwards. So they're looking over everything that they have already flown over as they're flying. If that makes sense. They have turkey-like heads with a long green neck and silver scales. They have a black right wing, but a pink left wing. They build their nests upside down. And they always lay grade D eggs. Humans have no idea how those eggs stay in the nest. And they make a sound like a Johnson bar, which is apparently a train gear shift, being shoved in reverse. Yes, Brie? I'm sorry. By the way the picture is shown, okay, in the first one, the arms are down, but they're like this, you know, like with like that. And that literally looks like they're flapping this way, which means that their wings would be 
flapping the same direction as their head. And then same in the picture of the bird on flight where he's like flapping, you know, and then he, his wings are up, right? He'd be flapping down this way, right? And then that would be like, okay, I'm flying in the same direction as my, I, I don't get it. How do they fly opposites of their head? I have no idea. <laughs> okay, thanks for the clarification. <laughs> I was not privy to that information. That's why I have so many because they're all really short and there's not much on them. Literally, if anything, that bird should be like, it should at least show that like that's the, okay, y'all know exactly what I'm talking you're, about. You're kind of stuck on a picture that is drawn. Well, yes, but like if they fly backwards, then you should at least show the factual information as in if this bird flies backwards it shouldn't have its wings up like this it should be cut off right here so that you know it shows that it's the back wings and not this is the back wings you know like it's it's showing that it goes this way but like that's my head you know it, it should show this going that it's going this way that's my head that these should be the back of my wings portraying it flying backwards actually that's it doesn't know it it I don't see that in any way, shape, or form, no matter how I look I, at it. I kind of see it. Okay, the keep going. Keep going, seventh, please. The seventh photo is the Hodag, and they are reported to be found in Maine. However, one was captured in Wisconsin in 1895 by E.S. Shepard, which is supposedly the photo that we have here. That looks photoshopped. Charming little guy. That looks um, like um, they've got, you know, like those teeth that you, like the dentures. It looks like <laughs> it's got dentures in. I was going to say like the vampire teeth, but I changed it to dentures. No, it 100%. Looks like a pug with huge ass claws, dentures in, and big horns coming out from their back and their, where their ears are supposed to be. Or maybe a shadow where their ear is currently. I don't know. The hodags? hate citrus fruit and it's thought to be rare because of more people cooking with lemon sure they are described I cook with lemon all the time so i mean to be fair i do too so i mean they could be on to something they are described as distressingly ugly they have a lumpy head with bulging eyes and two horns on top they have powerful claws and a hooked tail jagged spines go down its back and the teeth that you see the smaller ones were said were once used to be made what did i just say hold on something about their dentures the smaller <laughs> the smaller teeth were once said to be used to make umbrella handles they are said to often burst into wait, tears wait 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 rewind how yes. do you make umbrella handles out of tiny ass teeth like that Okay, girl, you literally position them together so that they're whole into an, an, a whole entire umbrella it, hand. It's still the skinny, end. though. What she said. There but they're you go. still skinny. It doesn't I mean, matter. You take, okay, the more time you take, the more money you can charge for it. No, I'm just saying, like, that umbrella handle is going to be the size of a fucking straw. It is not. You Maybe get multiple umbrellas. of them. You for literally your get multiple of these umbrella hand or of these teeth, right? But if you're let's stacking them you, on top let, of each other, it doesn't make sense. Unless right, you're gluing them you to the have, outside. Well, yeah, you, you're gluing you're gluing them to 
a centerpiece, yeah, but it doesn't have to be an umbrella handle. I mean, you could literally glue it to like, I don't know, anything. I wouldn't mind not having an umbrella handle that didn't have, you know, like the little indents for the fingers. You know what I'm talking about? I'm just saying it would be skinny. Like you would be holding like the umbrella handle. Oh, it would be like this. Literally all you have to do is just make a mold of like an actual umbrella handle. And then you're Gucci. That's it. That's all you got to do. You hear that? Then you are Gucci. <laughs> Shut up. <laughs> Leave me alone. <laughs> but yeah, literally all you got to do is just make the mold of an umbrella handle and then you're good to go. They're said to often burst into tears because they know how ugly they are, which that's just heartbreaking. Sad. <laughs> the poor babies. Their tears will crystallize after being shed, though. And one man has this story, okay? He does not have a name. I guess maybe he's still upset. I'm not sure. But one man claimed to have collected the tears, but they were stolen by a greedy friend who thought that they were amber. So she apparently fashioned them into a necklace, but then she lost them after spilling a Tom Collins on herself because the lemon juice in the cocktail was said to have dissolved the tears instantly. I'd be so pissed. What is what? A Tom Collins. A Tom Collins is a drink. I looked it up. I believe it is lemon juice and vodka tonic. Or I'm sorry, lemon juice and um, vodka. It is gin, lemon juice, sugar, and carbonated water. So that's what I meant. Tonic water, not vodka tonic. That's what I used to drink. That does not sound very good. Whiskey and Coke. That's the way to go. They're also said to get angry when you laugh at them. And they get very aggressive when they're angry. However, two lemons is enough to protect you against an entire herd of hodags. Damn. What about limes? It said lemons. citrus fruit. So oh. apparently I would think that limes and oranges were also good. Okay. I'll take it. This last photo is a little bit of a doozy. Okay. We got a ride here. I'm telling oh, you right now. Brie. It does not make sense, okay? <laughs> Just Don't try to make now. sense of it. Yeah. I tried. I researched repeatedly <laughs> numerous websites. None of it makes sense, okay? You know so that I'm going to try to make sense of it. You know Good that I'm going luck. to. Just that's why you said that. E exactly. So this is the Whiffin Poof, or it's also that known as the- like, That sounds like a secret so like society, like the Whiffin Poofs. A lot of the websites, the comments on them said that it sounded like a, a Hogwarts house. The Whiff and Poofs. I don't. No way. Uh, it's the it. Hogwarts house, y'all. You hear it <laughs> now. You hear it first. Or maybe it's Whiff the houses at um, the U.S. The American Hogwarts. One? Yeah. The what? Bryce, say that one more Hogwarts. time. The U.S. version of Hogwarts. Yeah. I don't remember what the hell it's called, but there's Hogwarts one wasn't considered American version. And they're oh. British, but like the school that would be in America. Hogwarts America School is I called. I think the Thunderbird is one of those houses, isn't it? <laughs> yeah, they're off of like um, legends like that. Ilbermorny School of Witchcraft and Wizardry. Yeah, I think I only looked at that one like one time because it seemed kind of lame comparatively. I like it because like the Thunderbird is one of them. Yeah, um, but they have like these like legends that are like the houses, and it's really cool. 
I might be more into it now. Maybe at the time I wasn't because I didn't know about all this shit. <laughs> Let me see. So the Thunderbird, the Puck Wedgie. Ooh, that'd be a good one. Oh, that would be a puck good wedgie. one. I fucking love Puck Wedgies. Those oh. are in the um, whatever the fuck that triangle was, too. Why can I not remember that? Uh, the one I in- know what one you're talking about. I can't think of yeah. it either. Okay, this is my last one, so I'm going to read it. It is the Whiffenpoof, are also called the Gilligaloo fish. They are very tasty, but they're very hard to find. This is a really large fish, and they're known for their, this was an uncomfortable quote, juicy flesh. They only live in perfectly round lakes and only in Idaho. And if you do happen to get lucky and see one or you're looking for one, there are extremely specific rules to capture them. Bree, this is where we're going to, this is where I'm going to lose you, okay? So just follow with me until the end. I'll try. You have to row out into the very middle of the lake and you can use a hog yoke, which is a navigational tool. It's like a sextant for boats and stuff. What is a sextant? A navigational tool. Like, you would have to Google it. That's the only way I know how to describe it. I think uh, you look through it at the horizon, and it's supposed to help tell you where you're going and where to go. I see. It's like, imagine like an eyeglass and a telescope and a navigational tool all in one. Yeah. It looks like a a mathematical compass and a telescope combined. Okay. So you have to use that to determine the position. Next... After you row out there, you bore a square hole in the water. And in my notes, I literally have, excuse me. You then bait the edge of the hole with cheese. Brie, Stilton, and Liederkranz are the best cheeses. And Limburger is top tier cheese for Wiffle Boofs. is the best. Brianna. Brianna is the best. I don't know if you want to be... Big fish bait. But well, no, do, obviously it not. It sounds like she but, wants to be now. Yeah. But by the way that you're describing it, you said that it was the best cheese. So therefore, to catch a because poop. half, what, you didn't say that. No, 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 no. She did. You, you, just you didn't were, say that you previously. Talking. You said you did was the best yeah. cheese. So therefore, Brianna is the best. You heard it here, folks. If you want to catch a whiffin' proof, whiffin' poof, use a Brianna. We have Puck one here. here we <laughs> are going to use when we try to catch a whiffin' poof. Never Puck go Brianna. fishing with Jack. <laughs> <laughs> Not in Idaho, at least. Never go fishing with Amanda and Bryce if your name is Brianna. Holy shit. Hashtag Whoa. racist. That's namest? Thank you. Please continue, Amanda. So after you bait the edge Wait, is of the it, hole. I, I'm sorry. I'm so sorry. Did you say it's called namist and not racist? Because I know that racist has to do with your race. race. Your race. But Sexist your has name. to do with your sex. So it's I was, namist? I was joking. Okay. Alright. <laughs> yeah, I, I guess it would technically be prejudice. Yeah. Prejudice. There you yeah. go. Hashtag prejudice. <laughs> the end i'm dying now okay keep going <laughs> after you bait the edge of the hole with cheese and or the person brianna the whiff and poof will quickly smell the cheese and, and or appear the cheese brie <laughs> they will Thank quickly you very much smell the cheese and appear 
you have to immediately spit tobacco juice in the eye of this fish. Because if you do, it will make him swell up with rage, literally. And then in this puffy state, he won't be able to retreat back into the hole that you have somehow bore into the water. And then you will be able to get him in a net and pull him into the boat. And the photo is a picture of a fisherman. Hold on. The is... <laughs> is a photo of the fisherman spitting tobacco juice in his eye. I'm sorry, will you please say that one more time without anybody interrupting you? Because <laughs> I just got completely lost. Say what one more time? About spitting in his eye? Uh, about the entire thing. How do you catch them? How do you get them? So basically, you have to row your boat out to the very middle of a perfectly round lake in Idaho. And when you're there, you bore a square hole into the water. You bait that hole with either Brie Stilton leader crans. I don't know if I'm saying that right. Or Limburger cheese. And then once he smells it, he'll appear and he'll pop up through that hole in the water. And you have to immediately spit tobacco juice in his eye. And he gets so angry, he swells up and then he gets stuck in that hole. And you just net him and pull him in the boat. And then enjoy his juicy flesh. One question. How do you bore a perfect square? No idea. What does boring mean? Two questions. It, basically, it wants you to cut a hole in the water, but you can't do that. Because the water is not frozen, which I also researched. Basically, this is a lore. It's a legend. It makes no sense. It's just for fun. So I guess you can't catch a whiff and poof. Unless you figure out how to bore a hole in the water. If you do, please yes. let us know how it's done. I know they do it for ice fishing, but I think you would just walk out to the middle of the lake and not row if you were ice fishing. I would think so. And that is all for now. There are a lot more, so I might one day come back and do some more of these because they're pretty fun. Okay. Do y'all have a favorite? Uh, yeah, the axe, headed, axe handle hound is my favorite. I want one. Where can I, I get one? Coming. Um, let me scroll back up. They are found. Oh, it doesn't say where they're. Oh, uh, Wisconsin and Minnesota. Hey, I'm on my way. If you go to Wisconsin, send me some cheese because I hear they have like really good cheese. So send you me know, some brie. To, <laughs> I have next boyfriends who literally had like grandparents who like lived in Wisconsin, and they and he said like hands <laughs> down that Wisconsin has the best cheese. Obviously, you know he visited his grandparents. So. Well, that's what Why do they, what makes their cheese, their cheese heads? What I makes don't it know. so good though? Is it the cows? Do you have a specific type of Wisconsin cow? I if don't know. Maybe we should research. Y'all, you- that should be our next paranormal story. We should research that. What makes Wisconsin paranormal. cheese the best cheese? <laughs> okay, it's not necessarily paranormal, but as of right now, it's unexplained. Let's do that as a Patreon special. <laughs> <laughs> I don't even care. It it was just a joke. No, I know. Um, Bree's going to do that story, and it's going to be titled Wisconsin Me. <laughs> <laughs> just because my name is Brianna does not mean that you have to nickname my cheese off. That's well, the, it's the cheese it's... was named after Emma. Um, But you made such I a big mean. deal about it. Mm-hmm. I feel like it would have to be titled that. Yeah, no joke. But if you, really are in Wis- if you are in Wisconsin, let us know why your cheese is so special. Because we yeah, don't know. 
Um, Literally. No what what makes Vanilla. it so good? I mean, yeah. I've personally never tried Wisconsin <laughs> cheese. I would but love I've to heard that it's cheese. very good. Yeah. Way better than any cheese that I've ever tasted here in Texas, than Amana has ever tasted there in Arkansas, than Bryce has ever tasted there in Utah. So yeah. please. Is it your cow? We are begging you. The, email us. Is it the hate? temperature you keep your cows at? Do you what refrigerate them? Like, I don't know. Are they in a temperature controlled <laughs> environment? Because I bought a storage unit like that before. Yeah. That's great. Do okay, you, but y'all, maybe they actually treat their cows well. Here in the do South, we hug, don't treat our cows very well. Do you hug your cows daily? Maybe. Maybe they don't actually, it doesn't come from cows. Maybe they maybe have like, there's books. a cryptid, maybe. Maybe we can find a cryptid story. <gasps> the Wisconsin cheese cryptid? <laughs> maybe we'll just make up a story. <laughs> all right, all right. Thank you guys all for listening to Hell on Heels podcast. Please follow us on Instagram and Twitter. Our handle there is uh, Hell on Heels podcast and Facebook. We also have a page there, which is just Hell on Heels podcast. Uh, if you want to support us, you can donate through Patreon. If you have your own true crime or paranormal stories, please email us at hellonheelspodcast at gmail.com. You can also find us on Linktree. The easiest way to find us there is to just go to Instagram and click on the link on our Instagram profile. Um, and you'll find on Linktree all of the links to all of the things we have. As always, a big shout out to Amanda's husband, James, for creating our intro music. We appreciate you. Even though he doesn't listen to our podcast. Mm-hmm. We're still bitter about that. It's fine. Be sure to like, <laughs> review, and subscribe on whatever platforms you can. If you, if we are not on your preferred listening platform, please let us know, and we will work on getting those episodes up on those channels. I'm gonna round, go back to reviewing us. You can review us on iTunes and on Spotify for sure. Not review. You can rate us on there, and we only accept five star ratings. So go on and give us five stars. Okay, thanks. This has been Hell on Heels podcast. Thank you so much for listening. Bye. Thanks. We know y'all love us. So rate us five stars. Bye. Have a cheesy day. (laughs) (laughs) You're so cheesy. (laughs) Have a brie cheesy day. (laughs) Brie wishes you a cheesy day.